Merry Christmas. Oh, is it Christmas? <laughs> what week is it? What time is it? Where am I? How's it feel to have that the tables turned now? That uh, I mean, it's it's disorienting. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. No, well, this episode drops on Christmas. Oh, does it? Hey, Merry yes. Christmas. Yes. What are you doing listening to the podcast? Yes. Well, because people are, are home a bit more this year. So they got also true. time. So they'll have lots of extra time to listen to podcasts this year. It's great. There you go. So, um, yeah. So uh, so for me, Christmas is going to look a, uh, a lot different this year. It's going to be very much quieter. Mm-hmm. It's going to be much simpler. We're just streaming masses because we're in lockdown well kind of a semi-lockdown until um january 8th and so churches are participating you know our church is still open for private prayer and stuff like that and i'm still hearing confessions and stuff so we're, we're good there but it's just it's gonna be a bit of a simpler christmas so i'm like it's weird because i'm not like usually by the end of christmas day all the christmas masses i'm so exhausted and I'm just like last year I went home with my folks to the mainland to go visit some family on Christmas Day. And I said to my parents, never again. <laughs> yeah. And by a man, like not not on Christmas Day, at least. I'm like, I'm so tired on Christmas Day. I just don't have the energy to do all this. So I said, let's I said, but this year, I mean, I can't a now I can't see my family on Christmas Day, but uh, or Christmas because of everything. But it's going to be quieter. So yes, for those who can't tell, we I, we are recording before Christmas, obviously. Yes. Um, so I'm still not sure what it's actually going to look like, but we're streaming masses. So you know, we got a little bit of music and stuff. We're going to do a little bit of a prelude before mass, just to get people into the spirit of things. And um, but we'll have a Christmas Eve mass streamed at 5 p.m. and then Christmas Day mass at 11 a.m. And that's it. Yeah, I am. And it feels I am weird. Very, it is weird. Everything's weird. Um, and most of the times the weirdness has become normal, but every once in a while it sneaks up on you and you're reminded mm-hmm. everything is weird. I'm very interested to see what will happen at my parish for Christmas. So we are doing, because the bishop allows us to start celebrating uh, Christmas Eve Mass at 2 p.m. this year, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. We will be having a 2 p.m. outdoor Mass, mm-hmm. which will also be interesting. Uh, the pastor has asked that all the priests can celebrate, thinking that this is going to kind of be the big mass. It's going to be outdoors, and it's it's um, so all of our mass attendance has been down the last few weeks, um, okay. even our because, outdoor mass. Right, just because people are getting nervous. I guess so, but it's funny because like you know uh, we've expanded our indoor masses, and we only have one outdoor mass, but that one even it's been. It's been a lot less, even the hmm. outdoor mass. So it's interesting. Okay. So hmm. it's it's like, what's going to happen? Is a lot are a lot of people going to dress up, show up in their cars for an outdoor Christmas mass at two p.m., or are they just going to be like, eh, I don't have to go to mass? Will a lot of people show up for indoor masses? I don't know. I, I'm fascinated to find out what will happen. But uh, I will have I'll can celebrate that mass. I'll have a four p.m. and then I'll be doing a midnight midnight mass. I say that because a lot of times midnight masses are like 10 p.m. or whatever, but we're doing well, a midnight, it's midnight mass. Well, that's because even if you look in the ritual, it says the mass of Christmas night. Right. So this is this is a small tea tradition that midnight mass is the mass at night, right? So it's it's funny because uh, I do it because parishioners around here like it. And, and you're was, young and you're young. 
I, and I'm young, but I think next year we have we have another young guy at our parish. Next year I'm gonna make him do it, even though it is kind of nice. It's the it's it's. Does that mean it's you get a nice to sleep feel on, to it? Does that mean you don't have to do any of the Christmas Day masses? I have to do one Christmas Day mass. What time? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I have to I have to double check. But in the past, what I've done is I've done like the midnight mass and then like the seven a.m. mass. Ooh, that's not fair. No, that's not uh, that's not right. This that's is, not this, right. Is, this is a, this is this was my choice because I just oh. wanted to be done. Gotcha. Don't get me wrong. Love me some Christmas. Delightful. I love preaching about it. Yeah. I love the liturgies. But like I just wanted to like do that, and then I can just nap and gotcha. spend time with my family because my family's not yeah. too far away. They're only like forty minutes away from my parish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. It'll be very interesting. But I will spend uh, the Christmas with my family because, like I said, they're only they're part of my circle. I've got right. a couple friends and my immediate family who are in my circle, and so that's what we'll do. But it'll yeah, be so, I, I, yeah. I'm really fascinated to see what the numbers are, what will happen, because I have no idea. So I'm. I will. I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but there is a silver lining in this, at least administratively, because we are limited to 50 people per mass. Yeah. We before all this, and we had we had concocted a second space in our balcony, separate entrance and everything, so we could technically have 80 people because that would be a second space. It's completely separate from the main space, so it's allowable. We are already getting phone calls from because we we had it scheduled out. We have our four Christmas Eve masses. I know it's not the law please forgive me all canon lawyers but one day of the year and plus there was a dispensation given to america in the, the places in america for priest america to say four masses on each day for christmas so i'm just but anyways i don't have to worry about breaking the law now. it's not you know god 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 uh god <laughs> foresaw my foresaw what was going to happen if it happened yeah, less often now it happens a lot yeah. less often in my diocese but if it happened less often i think people would be less in a fuss about that Right, like and, and also it's like yeah. it's Christmas and you want people to go to mass, so and you would I'm, right. I'm so I, but I, and I was so I was going to have four masses with eighty people each on Christmas Eve, and then two on Christmas Day, and then I was going to go to our mission church as well. So I have seven masses Woo! in twenty four hours because we would we got a dispensation to start at noon if we wanted to. Now I don't have to worry about that, but um, so I was going to go twelve, two, four, and six because we have a shelter in the evening, so I didn't want to disturb them on Christmas Eve. So I thought, okay, we'll do it at six, do two Christmas morning, Christmas, go to the mission, and I'd be done, and I would just pass out on my couch. Um, <laughs> um, that's not happening anymore. But um, uh, but it was administratively, it was getting very difficult, right? Because we were just, when I was waiting to hear the announcements about what was going on for Christmas. I had a feeling we were going to be closed, so I didn't want to, like, jump the gun, and I'm really glad I didn't. Because uh, I heard some other priests, they were organized it all already. And I'm like, guys, we don't know what's going on. Wait, just wait. Have everything ready to go to, or, to set it up. But we were getting phone calls in the office saying, well, yeah, I only come to Mass once a year, but I want a spot. And I'm like, yeah. I said to my secretary, I'm like, let them know they're probably not going to get a spot this year. I can fit I can fit um, 480 people in total between six masses. And I know it's hard, and I know we want to think prodigally sometimes about those who are coming in, but I was like, these are the people who have been making the effort to come each and every week while we've been open. They get first dips. And I, it's, it's a prudential judgment. It's a prudential. Yeah. But anyways, now it's all – but here's the thing. That's all been removed from us. So we don't, no one's going to get, no one, I mean, there's probably anger about us being closed, but it's like now no one can feel hurt that they couldn't come or whatever. And that's not a bad thing, I guess, but it was just, it was getting to be administratively, the stress of having to deal with that was starting to weigh on me. So 
that's the silver line. It's a mixed emotions. Listen, it sucks that we're not going to have Christmas together. But guess what? I didn't have we didn't have Easter either. So it's like it's it, <laughs> things are going to things are going to change. And you know, Archbishop Miller from Vancouver made a great point. He said maybe Christmas is going to be a, a little bit more like that, like the simplicity of Bethlehem. Oh, that's a good way said, to look at it. I said, yeah, that's that's actually a great that's a great point. So I keep on using that point now because I'm like, this is a, yeah. I like that point. But I mean, what you've described is just how like emotionally difficult dealing with this stuff is. You know, it's for everybody, but the 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 priest version is and not just like, me. It's also my secretary, right? She's the one getting the phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like you find your your brain like making these weird calculations and feeling emotions that you're not sure you should feel. Um, like there's when you're trying so hard to do the right thing, but there's no perfect answer. And then the bishop just says, wait, 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 canceled. There's a relief in that. And it's weird. It's weird because you feel bad, but it's just. So I have no judgment on what on what you're going through because it's just right. so. And like, so I spent we spent a half hour at my uh, uh, staff meeting trying to figure out what, what do we do if people just refuse to wear masks in the church? It's like we I mean, whatever you think, we're trying to be obedient to our bishop and like just how to handle that and i'm like what what are we gonna do if like we can tell them to leave what if they don't what if they yeah. decide to like oh my gosh can we just i know uh everything's but, a battle right now but it is christmas yeah and christmas is wonderful i love it preaching is. about christmas yeah i love connecting the cave and the tomb and the cross mm -hmm. and the cradle mm -hmm. and it's just like mm, it's just such good stuff yeah i'm really on an incarnation kick right now right. that it, the incarnation is the most revolutionary thing of history which it is um but just like the reality of it and so if it's real like and we, we yeah. did an episode a bit about this i like, guess christianity real right a few a couple yeah. months ago um but this is the idea it's like if the incarnation's real that changes everything about how i live my life everything and so that's kind of probably where i'm leaning towards for my christmas mm -hmm. homilies awesome yeah i'm going to do yeah. something with uh because I just love it, uh, like the smallness of God and the mm -hmm. quiet of God and doing something with that. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. And it's funny because I usually plan less for my big uh, holidays um, homilies than I do for other Sundays. Huh, interesting. I'm the opposite. See, so I, it's not like I still pray about it. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, but it's more like I kind of more... And like it's funny, it's I'm trying not to do a humble brag with this, but it's more like you know, I, this is these are the central mysteries that have been going around in my heart, and my head the entire year. Right. And so we're just gonna try to let the spirit go with it, and so far it's been okay. So it's it's funny. It's I feel the least pressure. I'm always. I'll feel more pressure yeah. for a random Sunday than I will for right. like Christmas. Interesting. And stuff. So yeah. it's, it's just me. It's just how. Yeah, yeah. I know. This is exactly. Everyone's just. I'm a little different because I'm like. Yeah. This is a moment where. You can really maybe grab someone with something, mm -hmm. right? Sure. So now it's like it's weird. It's like this year the pressure is actually all off on that for me now. <laughs> it's really yeah. weird. Yeah. So, anyways, anyways, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony, and I'm excited because one of my parishioners gave me some venison. Oh, nice. Some 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 deer steak, and I've never had deer steak. I've had deer jerky before, but now I've got some deer steak. So I'm gonna cook those up after the uh, after the recording. So if I um, seem distracted, it's because I'm thinking about deer steak. Is this your way of telling me to be short? No, I am. I am fully present 
and aware. At least I'm trying to be. But like, you know, Jesus said, you know, the, the heart might be willing, but the flesh is weak. But the plan is to kind of do how I do normally do steaks in the rectory because we don't really have a grill. So I'm going to fry them up and yep. do a little bit of seasoning because I want nice. I want to try the actual deer meat flavor. So that's exciting. That's the one nice thing about um, different different bearishes at different cultures. Yep. And sometimes you can see that culture by what they give their priests. And so right. uh, there's there's a good amount of hunters in my area. And I, I was totally, this is the first time, this is the first time, I rarely do this, but I did this. Uh, one of the parishioners was talking to me about their husband going out hunting. I was like, "Oh, does he does he bring back um uh, does he bring back some deer meat? Does he do that?" So I was like, "Oh wow, uh, that's something that I would enjoy." Wink, wink. <laughs> so she got the hint and brought me like six different like little deer steaks. I'm like, "Yay! Merry Christmas that's to awesome. me!" <laughs> that's awesome. It was. It's cool. Very kind. Even even in um. Difficult times, uh, parishioners this year have still been like just nice. super generous. I'm very appreciative nice. Nice. of that. So awesome. That's me. Some people hunt deer, but we hunt tweets in the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. I love it. I loved it. Good. Uh, the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. All right. This is from Joy Clarkson at Join Us the Brave. There are two kinds of people in this world. This is a very Christmas-themed tweet. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who take a deep, almost primal pleasure in wrapping Christmas presents and those who run upstairs holding something behind their back and shouting, do we have a bag I can throw this in? And uh, I kind of replied, I said, there's also the third who struggles to even get to that point because that involves shopping. Yes. <laughs> right. And <laughs> I, 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 perhaps it's because I've been a priest for a while now. I actually hate shopping. I hate shopping. I hate it. I, I, if I have to shop, Amazon is where I go. Because if I don't have to go to a mall and it can just be dropped off at my office or whatever, I'm very happy about this. But then after I get it, I am more of the bag type than anything else because I'm a lazy person who uh, – it's it's weird. Like I – for me is personally, I actually – like my love language is gifts. Absolutely. Because for me, it shows appreciation. But at the same time, I'm actually quite horrible at like – doing that sometimes i'm really good about saying hey let's go out for dinner to celebrate this thing or whatever right or to say thank you let's i'll take you out for a meal or a drink or something that's where i'm really good but when it actually comes to taking the time to buy someone something to show your appreciation i'm actually quite horrible even though and this is my fallenness even though i actually love receiving something to be shown appreciation i have a hard time reciprocating that for whatever reason but i do it like i i, I suffer through it and i do it yeah, I'm definitely the let's throw it in the bag type. Now, at this, I, I will finally say before I kind of let you speak um, is I was listening to a certain other 
Catholic priest podcast that shall not be named the other week. And they were talking about uh, unwrapping gifts and the mystery of it all and why that's something really important. And actually, there's a really is a truth to that. I'm just a lazy person. So um, <laughs> if, if, if mystery gets in the way of me exercising my laziness, I will take laziness any day over mystery, which is just a sign of my fallenness. And that's okay. I'm glad we can be so open and honest on our podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, it, they, a lot of people get really into and talk about the love languages. And one of the love languages is gift giving. And yeah. this is something that I have been totally uh, incompetent, illiterate. It's not a thing that I've ever been good at. Yeah. Um, both giving and receiving. Yeah. Uh, so the big frustration for my poor, sweet, lovely, wonderful, loving mother is that I never have a Christmas list. Because I'm always like, you know, I mean, when I was younger, it'd be Legos and video games. Sure. Uh, but it's it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm good. You know, if I want something, I buy it on Amazon. But even that doesn't happen too often. You know, um, I was I always felt awkward whenever we you know be around as a family. They're passing out uh, gifts and I open up my gift. And I'm like, I, how how is a good person supposed to react to this? Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if I love the gift or don't love the gift. It's the same feeling. Like, okay, how am I supposed to react to, to receiving this gift in a way that shows I'm a good person and that I'm thankful? Like, right. it, it does not work in my brain. Now, I've gotten much better. I've gotten much better. But uh, same thing with gift giving. And so uh, for for many years, uh, you know, would not would not bring presents. But, you know, like, you know, two months down the road. My brother mentions that he really wants this thing. I'm like, oh, I'll buy that for you. We'll count it for mm -hmm. Christmas. Like that was now gotcha. last year I did a good job. Yeah. Um, this year I'm almost done. So I, I've, I've got the gifts and everything ready. But yes, for sure. If, if I struggle that much with that kind of thing, yeah. uh, then then the whole wrapping, not not yeah. a thing I'm good at. Uh, and and my whole family makes fun of me for it. And and you know with Rightfully righteousness so. with yep. with truth and justice and all that so but i do have gifts for the family uh pretty much locked down so yeah. that's that's a big win for me this um, year i'm uh, yeah this year i'm leaning on my parents to do shopping for my nieces and nephew because i literally will not see them yeah uh, cuz they're near they're in Vancouver i will not see them at all so okay. um this way i can so my parents actually, so it's great. It's like, yes, please do some shopping for me. And I, it's it's also hard because I'm new to the parish because like it's important, I think, for a priest to show appreciation to your staff. And and, and so I don't know them. I don't know a lot of people super well yet. Like I work well with everyone, but it's like it, I can't really just go over to people's houses right now at all to get to know people. So it's been really hard to actually get to know them and to see what they would actually like. So that's been a little bit of a difficulty, but it'll get done. I'm going. But can we I'm going to, I'm going to brave, I'm going to brave the mall as quickly as possible on Monday, and pray. It's, if it's too busy, I'm not. I'm not going in because I'm not a crazy person. I don't want to get COVID. If it's anything like the mall was uh, for me in Western PA, there's not a lot of people around. And yes, it is my yearly trip to the mall because uh, I want to make sure I have all my gifts on time. The worst kind of person, even worse than me, is the person who's really good at gift giving. But always says, oh, I don't want anything or anything you get me will be fine. You're the worst kind of person. You're even worse than me. Just say something. Find something you want. Don't be good at gift giving and then say you don't want anything. That's yeah. the worst. At least I'm consistent. I'm bad at both ends of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm bad, too, because I just want books. <laughs> That's all I want. Right. 
it, it, it's I'm not I don't need anything. I really don't like, you know, like or or maybe some restaurant gift certificates, I guess. But it's like I I'm I don't know. I just don't need anything. I don't I, I I'm trying to live a simple life as a priest. I want oh, to live beautiful. a simple life. I want to live a simple life as a priest. I don't want fancy things anyways. So like I, my parents are always really good. They always give me a new pair of black pants every year, which is always helpful. Very important. A, that is stuff I need. Right. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm mad at, I'm, I'm I like receiving gifts, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what to ask for either because I don't like, yeah, I just want my books and I'm happy with books. All right. Well, um, speaking of paper products, if you will, I'm actually going to read two tweets because they're very related, and I feel like we need to have an important discussion about this. Okay. This is from uh, Father Eric Jarris, and he tweets, three conditions for sin <laughs> to be mortal sin. One, grave matter. Two, full knowledge of grave matter. Three, deliberate consent. Under these specifications, I firmly believe Sending a Christmas card with glitter in it is, in fact, a mortal sin. Okay, that's tweet number one. Mm -hmm. Tweet number two is from our friend, Father uh, Alex Schrenk, and he describes how he deals with glitter in Christmas cards. So he claims to have a ability, the moment he touches an envelope, to tell whether or not a card has glitter on it, and this is what he does. One. I detect where the open side of the card is and open the envelope carefully with scissors. Two, bowing the card open inside the envelope, I check to see if there is a personal message or money inside. Three, if there is a message, I read it. If there is cash, I extract it and run it through a dampened paper towel. Four, the card still within the envelope is then laid aside perhaps enclosed in a baggie first and eventually shredded. <laughs> this now, is such an Alec know, thing. This it, is such an Alec thing. I am 100% sure this is exactly what he does, which is one of the reasons why I love Father Alex so much. Oh okay. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I'm like, this is it. This is perfect. This is great. Listen, listen. I know that, you know, uh, first of all, I am happy to receive any kind of card. I'm always amazed that parishioners send me cards. It, it's very kind and very yeah. nice of them. Yeah. And I understand that glittery cards, they look pretty. Okay. I, yes. I, I, I understand that. But one, they are incredibly messy. But yeah. two, they make me glitterly, glitter, glittery, glittery. Right. Like if you handle a a glittery card, you get glitter on yourself. Yep. My friends, it's 2020, so almost 2021. Priests should not have glitter on them. We no. we can't. It's just 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 no. Please understand our plight. It'd be one thing if I talk about I shine, all my Jesus, shine. <laughs> shine jesus shine because you have cards with glitter no it's just it's just annoying like it, it, it brings up to make father why do you have glitter on your face and also we wear black the glitter really shows so up we wear black so all the time and it sticks around there it's just it's just it's just the worst please don't do it I understand you love your priests and you want to send them shiny cards, and I, I respect that motivation, but just know. No, 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 no. You've all been warned. I know some of you have already made mistakes because it's Christmas. You're forgiven, okay? You didn't know. 
But now you know. Don't send your priests cards with glitter on them. That has been your public service announcement. This is how you love your priests. Don't send glitter on your cards. Father Harrison. I got nothing to add. Mm-hmm. It's just true. Yeah. It's all true. I like Father Alex's method. It's a little too particular for me. <laughs> but the idea of Ferent where the opening is and opening from there. Because, of course, he's got a letter opener because he's Father Alex. So yeah. um, he, he will know how to do this stuff. But, uh, um, but my yeah, my one little thing is what I often do with a card is I open it. If there is like a gift inside or whatever, I'll just mark it on the card. So then that's my way of remembering. So when I send a thank you card, if I can remember to do that sometimes, I can do that. So that's his – I guess I could write on the back of the envelope. Uh, so the things I will do with Christmas cards, I will decorate my office with them. I'll keep mm -hmm. them actually for a few months because a lot of times they are very nice. And I just kind of stick them mm -hmm. all around my office and uh, uh, that sort of thing. And I was going to say one more thing about Christmas cards. What was it? I can't remember what I was going to say about this, but this is mm – -hmm. oh, 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 okay. So Father Harrison, do you have a letter opener? I do not. I just use scissors. No, 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 no. Believe me, once you start using a letter opener, it changes your life. I okay. literally refuse to open cards without a letter opener anymore. I have a little letter opener. It's a sword. It's a replica of Sting yep. from Lord yep. of the Rings. Delightful. First of all, that's just delightful. But like, oh my gosh, the feeling of just like ripping through the paper in a smooth motion to have the letter. Like it, you're not ripping off in pieces. It's not like the glue yeah. sticking to it. It's just clean and right. And you just open, pull. Oh my gosh. I literally will never open an envelope without a letter opener. I huh. refuse to do it now. It'll change. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm getting you a sweet letter opener. That's good. <laughs> this is perfect. There you go. There we go. Listen, we do too much paperwork not to have a letter opener. This is important. Every priest should have a good letter opener. It's a okay. nice desk piece. You can get like a little stand or whatever for it. It's nice. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll try it out. All right. Cool. Well, let's um, let's uh, do some presbyteral exhortations. All right, all right. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably, mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes. So I've been pondering something lately. This is kind of in connection. This is, I'm sorry, this is not going to be very Christmassy uh, presbyteral exhortations. Um, but I've been pondering, it's something that's been coming up a little bit in my thinking and my writing a bit um, that there is a moral principle that is important to moral discernment, that is important to our actions, that we as Catholics seem to know nothing about. And that is the principle of the common good. And why, so why do I say this? It's because um, there is a lot of there's a lot of talk about personal, or often maybe we even use the word personal in an individualistic way, right? So we we talk about my individual rights that my freedom is something that resides just in me, and that's it. And I've been thinking about this because that's not really Catholic. That's a very um, modern view. It's a very West, like twisted in a Western way view, uh, modern Western view, I guess you could say 
but it's not really the Catholic way because for, for the Catholic, it's not just what do I do for my own good? That's something that we take into account, but that in and of itself always has to be seen in light of the larger common good. So just because something is good for me doesn't mean it's not, doesn't mean it ought to be always acted upon or just because I see it as good for me doesn't mean it's always be acted upon because it might actually interfere with the more public common good. I will give, I will give a controversial example, I guess, I, I, whatever masks. No, I'm serious. This is, this is a yeah. very simple one. Okay. We do do, you know, cause some, and I, I know some of our listeners are going to be perhaps upset about this, but again, I just have to, say what it is um those who oppose the use of mass often do it from a very individualistic way only i'm only looking out for my good i don't wear a mask for my good it it my mouth gets wet because of the condensation you know it's like you get it gets warm in there um it's it's, it's a hard pain to talk in them. It's, it's hard, hard to talk. I notice. Listen, I notice it a lot of times. I'm always looking at someone's mouth, but I can't actually see anything, and so it actually gets hard to hear. It's amazing how much the mouth is attached to communication, right? We don't do, but we do it because it helps, and it does help impede the spread of the virus, for example, right? It helps us, yeah. and it also allows us. It also actually gives us a greater freedom, so that if you can't always be six feet away. For a minute or two, if you're going to be close to someone, that's fine because the mask is stopping um, particles from leaving your mouth. So it's a it's a protective measure, which then helps reduce the spread, which then brings about less deaths, less strain on our hospital systems, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. The idea of taking a part in this is important because of the principle of the common good. And it's it's not something ever really talked about. We're talking about moral decisions, policy decisions, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to be foreign to our discourse about things because I, we've approached things in such an individualistic way. And so I, I thought I would um, bring out a little handy helpmate. Ooh. The compendium. The compendium. compendium. The Compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I don't think I have one of those. I don't even know oh, really? what that is. What? You didn't? Even, this is something Pope Benedict did. I have no, no, I don't know. What is it? It's it's a shorter version of the Catechism, and it's done in a question and answer format, kind of like the Baltimore Catechism. Oh. Um, so it's essentially it's summarizing the thicker Catechism into it, and it it'll give you stuff like um, the cross references. Sorry. Uh, cross references to the paragraphs in the actual catechism. So it's a very helpful tool. And I thought this would be a helpful thing to bring about some conversation because it's very interesting. It, it, when the, when the compendium talks about the common good, it does so under the chapter heading, the human community. Notice how it doesn't say the human person mm. as its head for this chapter. It's a very short chapter. It's only like four pages in the compendium, um, but it talks about the human community. And it's um, so this is that's interesting in of itself because it's talking about man's social nature. And in fact, 
they actually have a whole little um, bit on that where they talk about the relationship between the person and society. So the first par- the first paragraph 401 does talk about, or yeah, sorry, no, the first person, it was talking about person and society here. The first question is this, what does the social dimension of man consist? So again, notice how it's not starting from the individual to the community. It's actually starting from the social nature of man. This is something I've talked a little bit about on the podcast with regards to Henri de Lubac, um, who was a major influence on Ratzinger. So hence why this is a big thing here. And so the, the compendium says this, together with the personal call to beatitude, the human person has a communal dimension as an essential component of his nature and vocation. Indeed, all are called to the same end, God himself. There is a certain resemblance between the communion of the divine persons and the fraternity that people are to establish among themselves in truth and love. Love of neighbor is inseparable from love of God. That is a theologically very rich paragraph, right? What, what, what do you hear there? I, I, I'll... I'll so I'm thinking a little bit of um, just creation itself. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, just it's not good for man to be alone. That right. human beings were created, in a sense, in community. Now, the one creation uh, story you know, has Adam uh, first and then Adam and Eve, but we've talked a little bit about that in the past. But the idea is like humanity isn't humanity, and the human person isn't a human person um, apart from other human persons. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's something that we've experienced in a negative sense these past five thousand months of uh, of COVID. Like, right. I mean, and this is a real concern too. So, um, you know, the, the fact that we're worried about uh, the socialization, socializ- socialization uh, of our of our kids, uh, right. of, you know, growing up and understanding, you know, how to talk to people. Of, I mean, many of us. I'm an introvert, and I like my alone time. Mm-hmm. But I have found days and weeks where it's like, oh, my gosh, I just mm-hmm. want to be with my friends. You start to right. lose yourself. Yeah. Right. So I think it's something that we've all felt in a experiential way the last few months. Yeah. No, I, I was actually just I was reflecting on this after I had a meeting with my supervisor on uh, Monday and about my thesis. And um, I was just telling him at the end, I'm like, man, I'm so excited to work on this right now. Cause it's been like, I've been in a brain fog about writing yeah. in general lately. And I'm like, why is that the case? And I'm like, I'm an extrovert. I need to talk to people. So even just talking to him over zoom was like, Oh wait, I want to do this more. So it's helped me also th- like, so we need those things. We are, this is the point to be human, to be a person is to be social because to be person is to be in relation, right? You can't, a person is not a person. You can't define a person without other persons essentially yeah because the father is not the father without the son and the spirit the spirit is not the spirit without the son and the father the son is not the son without the spirit and the father they are who they are in relation with each other and that's the fullness of the unity and so this is why the paragraph brings out this idea that there's a certain resemblance between the communion of the divine persons and the fraternity that people are to establish so it's a certain likeness so again analogy of being there's always a greater difference you know, right. it's not if I love my neighbor, I love God, and that's enough. That's no, no, that, that's it's something more, but it's just, but you can't ignore it either. It, it, but there's also a couple other really interesting phrases here that I want to bring out because this is the 
this is the what we call the anthropological foundation of the principle of the common good with, with the catechism setting up here. So it says, yes, you are called to be attitude, but the person the human person has a communal dimension as an essential component of his nature. So who we are, it means to be human, but also vocation. Right? And how do, what is that vocation? All are called to the same end, God Himself. Now, this is a very um loaded statement in the realm of theology because what the catechism is saying is that man in his nature has God as his end. Now, for those who aren't aware of debates in theology in the last 20 in the last century, this is the relationship between the natural and the supernatural is the debate that's been happening in the last hundred years. So the catechism is actually coming out on the side of audio to the back here, which is very interesting. Um, but it also is a, indeed all are called to the same end, God himself. That is what Pope Francis says when man, when he says we are not saved alone. It's the same. It's the exact same principle, exact same. So to be human is to be involved in humanity really so it's like really incarnational too it says you have to be out there with others and to be in relationship with others because and this is something aside from the catechism but and it's something i mentioned a couple weeks ago on the podcast our freedom is not again it's not individualized it's something finite which means it's always in relation for us as human beings to be free means i'm free to do something for others I'm free to do something with others, and my freedom is dependent on others. I wouldn't be without my parents, etc. This is what it means to have freedom. But that means it's always done in relationship. And so we have a shared nature. Christ didn't come to save bits of humanity. He came to save humanity itself. Jesus didn't take on the humanity of some people. He took on the humanity of all people in his humanity. So the this is the kind of Christological and anthropological basis of what it means to be human. Yeah. Or just like the really obvious point that love is impossible in isolation. Right. Like love requires community. There must be exactly. a lover and the beloved. Exactly. There has to be giving and receiving. So if God is love, like, I mean, like I said, the analogy isn't perfect, but he's a community of persons. And of course, that's reflected in his creation. Yeah, exactly. It's part of the reason we're made in the, I mean, part of the effect or a result of being made in the image and likeness of God. Right. To be made in the image and likeness of God is to be in community. Right. So I'm going to just give some summary lines here before I get into actual principle of common good. But this is, okay. this is, I mean, that's one paragraph. We spent 10 minutes on one amazing, like that's a mm. good loaded paragraph. And I could say more, but I won't. Um, so then <laughs> it goes on to talk about the relationship between the person and society. There are certain societies that are fundamental. Civil society is like, so like public the, the chivitas, like, doesn't mean the state itself per se, because those things can come and go. But, but um, the, the you need organizational principles for how people are going to live, and uh, you need the family. The family is necessary. It's absolutely essential. It cannot be ignored, and that, and that there even are helpful associations at the national and international level. Always keeping in mind the principle of subsidiarity, and I won't get into the principle of subsidiarity right now. That could be another day. Uh, but it also talks about that we need – for authentic human society, it requires respect for justice, right? Uh, 
a just hierarchy of values. And remember, again, a hierarchy of values doesn't mean just because it's lower doesn't mean it's not important. You don't say just because this is higher, I'm going to ignore these lower things. That is not the way to cap it. The hierarchy means they're all important because that would be like saying, well, really, all that's important is the pope because anything lower than him is not higher up in the hierarchy. Therefore, we don't matter. No, that's not true. It's 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 hierarchy of values um, and the subordination of material and instinctual dimensions to interior and spiritual ones. So again, to be the interior and, and the spiritual has a higher priority in life. Um, but this is kind of what it's talking about. So it's giving it a framework of what society should be about. But then it goes on to give three questions, sorry, four questions on the common good, because it's saying. This is how you participate in social life. So if, if it is if to be human is to be part of civil society, to be a part of associations that help the governing and flourishing of society, to be a part of these essential societies like the church, like families, etc. Our action, our living this out is governed by a principle, and that is the principle of the common good. So I want to I'm going to read each definition, each paragraph, and just we can use it as a talking point here. So it says, what is the common good? The common good is meant by the common good is meant the sum total of those conditions of social life, which allow people as groups and as individuals to, to reach their proper fulfillment. It's pretty abstract if you think about it, right? Yeah. Very abstract. Um, it's saying though that we, it, it, it's everything. It's everything that it means to be human, that we need to be human, that those are all things that are, are being chased for the common good because the common good is the most important thing to actually perceiving, to be going after because then it will create the structures and places for our individual goods to flourish because the common good will always be at service of our individual goods. And so we make – Question. Yeah. Yes. How is this different from a utilitarian, the most good for the most people? So the because that comes from a that comes from a calculate that uh, utilitarianism is a calculation, right? It says, uh -huh. um, um, I am willing to let these people suffer for this, and there, um, and it it's different because at the heart of the common good, if it's properly being enacted and being chased after by us, it will benefit every human person, regardless. No one will suffer in the pursuit of the common good, except those who go against it. Yeah. Right. So the difference is here is, is the church really believes that the common good becomes the core organizing moral principle of human life. This is something that benefits literally everyone. And that's different. I think, am I wrong? No, I don't think it's wrong. Uh, and I think this is why this distinction is important because sometimes the pursuit of the common good does mean personal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see sacrifice as an evil when isn't necessarily one. Right. If that makes sense. Yes, exactly. Like just going back to the mask thing. Yeah. Like there is a suffering in wearing masks, right? Yep. Um, but that's not the same as a kind of utilitarian... Thing. And this is why I think sometimes some of the language uh, of common good, it can be co-opted a little bit. Right. Um, where we're okay if you guys feel bad because this section of people will feel better because of it. 
right? Right, right. And and it's the common good though is not meant to be a tool that pits one group against the other. If it's, right. that's the case, it's not the common good anymore. You're just using a buzz phrase for your own political agenda. Um, yeah. No, the common good is something that is it is it's something that creates an equality and is based in the dignity of the human person okay yeah and this so is, this is the, you know, okay as i was gonna say so this is the interesting thing right we have a common nature but it's all but every person has the fullness of humanity in themselves and so com- the common good will always be at the flourishing of the human person as well so it will look out for the individual always but not but always in a way that it builds up all individuals towards the same end rather than pitting individuals against each other for different reasons. Oh, what was I going to say? Something about common good and people and (laughs) stuff. stuff. What was it? Uh, Wait, wait. No, it wasn't that. It was uh, Fork. Um, all right, I'll think about it later. All right. So the catechism, that, anyways, that's a very abstract definition of the common good still. So the catechism. Ah, actually, I remember. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, who decides what's good? I don't want to put this. Um, it's not something we even necessarily decide. Ah, mm. It's something revealed. Ding, 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 ding. Right? The, the good is revealed in, in, in the thing itself, um, which requires a humility and a receptivity in man to receive that and to hear that and to act on that. But also, aren't we kind of bad at seeing that as yes, fallen because, human beings? Yes. Right. So this is why the church... This is why the church here, this is why I think like this is the, in a way, this is the church's response to participation in social life. Not yes. that she's going to necessarily govern things, but she's going to always propose the good that she knows. Because if, if Christ reveals the fullness of man and, and we see what it means to be human in Christ, then the church, then the church knows best what it means to be human and will always propose this to the world to bring about principles of governance and stuff like this. And so it is up for Catholics to get into political things, et cetera, but to promote these things, not, not these other, you know, not these, um, these things on the different parts of the spectrum. Um, It's, this needs to be the, the basic principle this is the basic principle and we, and the church, and here's the other thing, because the church actually can say to the world, and this is actually not even just based in natural law because natural law, I'm, I'm more and more convinced is a difficult thing to use today because people yeah. don't have, there is not a uniform sense of nature like there was 200 years ago. Right. Okay. Um, but that revelation itself is reasonable and can actually speak the truth to humanity, right? This is something that was big about John Paul II's pontificate. He really saw this as his mission and role that we can tell you what it really means to be human, but we're always going to propose it. We're never going to impose it. And, and so the church, so because we are fallen creatures, the church in the revelation of Christ can say to the world, if you live this way, society will be better for it. Now, 
the principle good the common good is based not in an ideal but rather in the core good of the human person itself so it's something intrinsic in the person and so this is also then important because then it's not like a political game that we have to like fit everything into this ideal form of the common good it, it takes reality seriously so it has to take reality like, so it has to take things like sin seriously when it's trying to enact the common good as well so that to your point we are bad at noticing what's good and so the church in proposing the common good also has to propose things against sin and against the evils of sin because it will detract from human human dignity. Yeah, that was what I was trying to get at. Like this, okay. um, uh, the importance of uh, the church being in the public space, the importance of us not taking separation of church and state uh, a certain way. Um, right. Uh, that, yeah, because, because, I mean, this is how... The whole faith and morals and politics. This is this is the, the touchstone, the meeting point, where it, in order to have the church should be influencing policy by presenting what is good. And right. This is why a lot of times people get a little cranky with the church because it seems like what she's saying is vague, but she's reminding us of of principles um, because. Principles can be enacted in different ways and need to be enacted in different ways, depending on uh, particular issues of a mm -hmm. country, of a state, of a people. Right. Yeah. So then, so yeah, so that now the catechism now goes into asking what is involved in the common good. So now it's going to give us a bit more concrete stuff. So it's going to say the common good involves respect for and promotion of the fundamental rights of the person. So it is talking about individual rights. Okay. But again, it's not individual rights for my own service. It's, listen, I guess the way we have to look at individual rights is it's not something that um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a protective form. It's a it, – it's not freedom from. It's freedom for, mm -hmm. right? It's this idea of I'm not uh, – um, my rights aren't there just so that I can be protected about all the bad stuff out there. And I can just kind of cocoon up in myself with my rights and be like, I'm okay. And, and nobody can get near these rights here because they my rights, you know. Um, <laughs> but rather, uh, the idea of the fundamental rights of the person is to allow the person to live for others, to live this law of the gift for others. And so rights exist for human action. For the good, For but again, so it's, Rights exist for charity, in other words, is maybe the better yeah, way to put it, you know? Put it, yeah. it, it, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, rights exist for charity, not just for my own, I just want to be this way. Um, it's always something extroverted. So, okay, so it, it, the common good promotes uh, these rights. The development of the spiritual and temporal goods of, the, of persons and society um, and the peace and security of all. So, in other words, anything that achieves the development of spiritual and temporal goods of persons and society, peace and security of all, and allows for the promotion of rights of the person. This, these, this right here really is the guidelines for how we judge um, the common good. And, and it, I don't, I'm, when I say this to it, it shouldn't be like this naivete that there aren't bad actors out there who, who will try to suppress the church from doing this and promoting this. They are always going to exist. They always have existed. Um, but rather, this should give us peace. 
so that when I'm making a moral decision or when I'm looking at myself and when I'm looking at things that I want in the world, I have to ask myself, is it building upon the respect and promotion for the fundamental rights of the person? Is what I'm doing allowing me to bring about the development of the spiritual and temporal goods of persons in society? And, and peace and security for all. Because then this becomes like a judgment around um, a whole bunch of issues around things like, like even like, like uh, I can tell you where I live, poverty is a massive issue, right? It is a massive issue. There's so much homelessness. And we need to make decisions that will make sure that these people get something basic like food and a roof over their head at night at the very least with a shelter. Which means like I have to be willing to even – so this is where the sacrifice part comes in, where it says I'm going to lose the good of access to things sometimes so that someone else can have the basic needs. Our superfluous goods are lower than essential goods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the principle of the common good really helps us to see that. And so the, the catechism goes on that the most complete realization of the common good is found in those political communities which depend and promote the good of their citizens and their and of intermediate groups without forgetting the universal good of the entire human family. So that we don't just make decisions just for ourselves and look out only for ourselves. I I will give um Canada a lot of credit on this one as another example. I know listen, I know we're tired of COVID, but guess what? This is just what we're all living through right now, so it's all we can kind of comment on. Um, <laughs> but our government procured a ton of vaccines, like 400 million doses for the next year. Um, we're not going to need them all. And they have already said, we're going to give to the third world countries that can't afford it. No cost. That is actually an act of the common good. And that's a mm-hmm. good thing. This is not a comment on politics per se, but this is like – that is an example of the universal good of the entire human family. And this is what we need to be thinking about more. So do you have anything to say? Because I got one more paragraph after this. Uh, No, I don't. No. Okay. I will go into the last paragraph (laughs) and then we'll kind of of bring it around. So how does one participate in bringing about the common good? All men and women, according to their place and role that they occupy, participate in promoting the common good by respecting just laws. They're respecting just laws. Mm -hmm. Um, And remember, in every civil society, rights can be restricted because of a higher good, such as the protection of life in a pandemic, as an example. So we have to respect just laws and taking charge of the areas for which they are personally for which they have personal responsibility. So in other words, you're participating in the common good if you are building up a family. Yeah. Because you are you are promoting an essential society for your uh, essential society, which is the family. Um, so just by um, just by taking care of of that you are already doing something for the common good. It doesn't mean we all have to take on these programs, but then it goes on to say, and commitment to their own work. So just even the work you do, ensuring that you're living out in a Catholic way. So that if you're at a job where maybe like, you're, conf- you're concerned maybe that there's a lot of greed at play and how business practices are going, you can, that might be a moral question to start to wonder if this is a job you should do anymore because maybe it's not promoting the, like I'll give you one great example. This is, um, payday loan places. Catholics cannot work there, in my opinion. Absolutely not. Like I'm, I'm just very black and white on this one. Yeah. Because 
they are responsible for keeping people in excessive debt with insane interest. Um, so, you know, commitment to one's own work might mean sometimes commitment to leave a work if this is if this is kind of contributing to unjust things in society. And it also says citizens also should take an active part in public life as far as possible. So, in other words, we all have a different place in life and we're all going to have different things we can do politically sometimes. And we do what we can in our place. So it takes – it's also looking very concretely. If you can do something more locally, like if you can help out in your soup kitchen, great. That's a wonderful work. It's an act of charity towards the common good. Um, it, it's it – is, and at the same time, I, I'm not going to go too much into this, but the principle of the common good is very much tied with the universal destination of goods. And that's for another time on Catholic mm -hmm. social doctrine. But I, I say all this is to say that we need to be – this is the principle we need to be making our judgments out of. And we haven't been as Catholics. We've done a horrible job at forming this in people because when we talk about when we talk about moral theology, what do we do? These are the bad things you shouldn't do. These are, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. This is, these are the beatitudes and the, and the virtues, and that's it. But we never talk about the principle of the common good. And so we've done a – so we are getting our comeuppance for not forming Catholics according to this principle that we need yeah. to be always thinking, living, and acting out of. Yeah, that was really good. Um, and I think if it, if it feels to anyone that it's kind of uh, vague, that's also kind of okay because we're establishing the principle of how we go about uh, principles. Um but you can see without too much thought about how this um, one, the complexity of policy when it comes to the common good. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the nitty gritty thing, there is room for disagreements and arguments mm -hmm. and different perspectives. Right. Uh, but it would be wonderful if those disagreements and arguments uh, were founded on the same principle of the common right. good. That would be some delightful political discourse. Well, if you want to achieve the good of another, that's what love is. So yeah. at the heart of the common good is the principle of charity, right? And so that means it shows how we dis we have discourse, et cetera. But then it's like it also goes to this um, – I want to say this. It, it Yes, it sounds abstract, but in other words, we have to think what is the best for humanity? Or at, le at the very least, we could be saying what is best for the society that I'm living in right now? That is the first question I should be asking. But it's not even entering the discourse. Yeah. And it needs to be. And yes, it is abstract, but here's the good news. So that's the compendium. That's in paragraphs 401 to 407, I think. Um, but you can go into the catechism too. There's a lot more in the catechism. So I encourage you to look it up. Your catechism, I mean, we just did 32 minutes from like seven little paragraphs in our compendium. And it's like really rich. It's great. Yeah, this is good, good stuff. This is it's always good to like listen. As a theologian, I still love going back to the compendium because it it just puts things succinctly and clearly. But yes, this is an abstract thing. But it's about saying I need to think about I need to think about humanity as a whole, as it's lived out in my particular society. There you go. Yeah, and that needs to be the first principle by which I make a judgment, and then I see all my moral and decisions and all my actions based in that first perfect there we go so i hey. hope on that cheery note that you're having a great christmas i'm sure most of you are listening to this on like 
uh, St. Stephen's Day or something like that. I'm yeah. hoping. Uh, but I pray uh, first just a blessing upon all our listeners t- for um, this Christmas season that the joys of of the birth of Christ, um, that the incarnation, the reality that God takes on flesh, might that he may take on your flesh this Christmas season. So thanks for listening. Amen. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, you can uh, email us clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me cooking up some deer steak. You can find the thought podcast at clerical pod on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, clerically speaking, and um, on YouTube, clerically speaking. And um, please leave a review and please tell your friends about the podcast and even tell your enemies because Jesus says you must love your enemies and I did it totally out of order but now those who are listening to the end get to hear Father Harrison screw up and it's great so God bless you all peace peace